Welcome to the Crack House Chronicles, your favorite true crime podcast. I am Donnie, and with me is a man that wants everyone to know that vegetable pizza is just a salad with a side of bread. It's Dale. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that trash. Yeah. Get that garden out here. Yeah, we don't want a vegetable pizza. No. I'll eat a salad. No, I'll eat a pizza. Don't mix them up. Yeah. <laughs> okay, just yeah. a long debate of all time. Does pineapple go on pizza? Oh, yeah, I'll eat it on there. You will? Yeah. I'll do it. No salad, though. <laughs> no salad on the pizza? No. And then it's like, like my, my girls come home with with uh, pizza and some breadsticks. I'm like, so you got some bread to go with your bread? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, you got breadsticks all the way around it. Why <laughs> you need more breadsticks? You just got to have more bread. Yeah. It's just bread with your bread. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, work, well, it works for me. Yeah, I'll do pineapple on pizza. But if they're bringing pizza home, you don't you don't complain about it. No. Mm-mm. Batman won't eat. That's right. What's <laughs> going on today, dude? You, man. Same no. old, same old. Same old, that? same old. You got any good shout-outs or anybody you want to talk about? Oh, man, you know it. Bring it on. Hey, look at that. We have ourselves an Apple Podcast five-star. Five-star, five-star. Five-star review right here from uh, HST2022. says, uh, Love this show. I love you guys like a stripper loves a Benny. How about that, Don? Oh, man. <laughs> Can't wait to hear your episodes every week. I also support you on Patreon, and I love you guys. Oh, so, man. How about that? Well, we love you. Man, we love a Patreon supporter. How about that? Like we do. So we really appreciate that. Thanks, that for uh, taking the time to actually go out there and give us a five-star review and putting something in the box so we can shout you out. And thanks so much for being a Patreon supporter. That means the world. Thanks so much. It really does. If anybody wants to be like HTS... And go to Apple Podcasts, click that five star, and write something in the box, and you'll get a shout out. You'll get one. That's how it works. Right here. On this show, anyway. Free of charge. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We don't charge a thing for it. No, heck no. Mm-mm. We like it. We do. We like it a lot. <laughs> and if you want to go to the store page, it's still time to get you a hoodie or a long sleeve t shirt for winter. Yeah, you just got you one, did you? I did. I got me. I ordered me a new one. Fancy. Yeah, I like it. I'm about to get me one. Mine's about wore out. Yeah, I like them. They're very comfortable, and they will keep you warm this winter. Be warm. Yep. There's several to choose from, and just go check them out. I don't know why you didn't buy a tank top much. You like being cold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll get my, put up my sweaters and get out my other sweaters. <laughs> yeah. And get out my V-neck sweaters. Yeah, it's like in my house. I go home today and get out of the car, go in the house, and put my coat on and go in the house. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, dude, we're going to get going on this episode. All righty. We got a... We got a strange case man we had a doozy yeah and researching this i didn't think it would go where it was going to go but it did well, and it's pretty crazy and there it went yeah how about that it is went and gone we're going to talk about it <laughs> but our story that we're talking about starts on november the 7th of 1992 okay yeah and this is where a lady by the name of angela brasso she was just about to turn 22 years old yeah the next day actually yeah and she had worked that day and she was pretty tired she had been preparing for a a conference and training she was going to give the next day yeah she was young but she was extremely brilliant yes and just a little bit of background on her she grew up in pennsylvania and decided to go to technical school debris yeah out in california yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and after graduating there she landed a job at Centelect. This is an IT company, Dale, that created a piece of software that would allow banks to have customers to be able to call in and retrieve their balance or account information over the phone. It was like a voice recognition kind of thing. Yeah. Where they talk back to you. So you yeah. can call and see what your balance was and they would tell it to you. Over the phone. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was pretty. I remember when that happened. Right. Yeah, it was very cold. But she was very young. She was she was only going to be twenty two on her birthday. Mm-hmm. So she had uh, really taken to this thing and figured it out good, and was getting ready to start doing classes and teaching other folks how to use this this uh, technology. Yeah, extremely advanced for nineteen ninety two. It was, but this evening of November the seventh, you know, like I say she'd had a long day and she got home and she wanted to go ride on her bike. Yeah, and there in Arizona, where this is taking place. She rode her bike around the Arizona Canal. Yeah. It's a pretty popular recreational area for uh, cyclists and joggers and anybody wanting to get out and about around town. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's like a cement river kind of. Yeah. Like you see on uh, Terminator 2. Yeah. Pretty much. Kind of yeah. like, sort of like that. That's what but, I thought about when I saw it. Yep. But she was out riding her bike at night and she left her live-in boyfriend mm-hmm. uh, back at the apartment. He was going to stay home and make her a cake for, for, for her birthday the yeah, next day. Very cool. Which is kind of cool. Yeah, but she was out riding her bike, and it kept getting later and later, and she hadn't come home. Yeah, usually she's back in time to watch her favorite TV show, and I never did see what that is, but I did hear that several places. Yeah. but So it's kind of like, you know, it was back in. He wasn't a DVR, or I'll catch it later, or stream it. You either saw it or you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you had the VCR going, of course. Yeah, you just had to catch it, <laughs> catch it that time. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. But she hadn't come home, and he got worried, and he went out looking for her on yeah. his bike. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, he went out three different times. Yeah. Yeah. So and it, he was pretty tore up about it. And at some point during those times, or it may have been after that third time, he had called her mother mm-hmm. back in Pennsylvania to tell her what was going on and that Angela hadn't come home for the night. Yeah, and she was worried to death now. Yeah. Just a little bit later, he called, I guess, authorities, police, or somebody to come out. Yeah, or just let them know what was going on. She's yeah. Just- yeah, she hadn't come home. So going into the next day, you know, Angela was supposed to give this training. Yeah, it and was her big day. I mean, she'd yeah. been she'd been working for this really, really, really hard. I think for about four months. Yeah, preparing for this training. And you said part of the reason she went out to ride the bike that night. I mean, something she did a lot, but it was something good. She can go out and clear her head and get stuff ready so she could be fresh for the next day. And I get that too. Yeah, yeah. Just got to get out and burn it off. Mm-hmm. But she had planned for this meeting, this training for about four months. Yeah, I had people coming in from all over, you know, all over the country. Yeah, it wasn't just a little little thing this is a big deal yeah and that morning when the training was about to start she didn't she wasn't at work no Mm-mm. she didn't show up and everybody was looking around you know what are we gonna do what are we gonna do right and uh luckily uh, one of her co-workers there uh filled in for her yeah and uh took so, over and yeah the class got taught you know it in some uh capacity and it was at yeah, some point during that morning one of her coworkers was there at work and she was standing next to her desk and Angela's desk was right next to hers. Right. And the phone rung and she just happened to pick it up. Yeah. Because Angela hadn't been there. Right. So just by instinct, she just grabbed the phone. Yeah. And it was Angela's mother looking for her. Right. And told her that she hadn't come into work. Mm. And then that had send chills all over your body. Oh yeah. I can't imagine. Yeah. Cause she's missing, you know, oh Lord, and then you call work the next day and she's still not here. So the police are out looking, trying to find out what happened to Angela. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure they're talking to Mr. Boyfriend. Oh, yeah. I'm sure they took him in. His name was Joe, but I'm not sure. Yeah, but they when they were in the apartment there getting information from him, the authorities, they had looked in the sink and saw a, a knife there with some red stuff on it. Yeah. Yeah. I want to know how, can you explain this? Yeah. And it's like birthday cake icing. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, they also was kind of looking at him a little sideways, too, because they had also heard that he had a, another lady had come over to the house the night before. Yes. His uh, explanation was that he just didn't want to be alone. Yeah, so that didn't make him look good at all. No, because they was probably thinking he was wanting somebody to come over and lick the beater. 
Yeah, he, was, he was making a cake. <laughs> he was making a cake. Yeah. I remember licking the beaters as a kid. Yeah. The next morning, police were searching for Angela. Yes. And they happened to come up on Angela's body in a field next to her apartment. And she had been fatally stabbed in the back, sexually assaulted, and decapitated. But her head was nowhere to be found. Right. They just, her, just her body. Yeah, still can't find out. No. Yeah, she had been pretty uh, ravaged. Yeah. Also, her bike was missing. Yes. We don't know where that was. And her bike was her pride and joy. Yeah, it was a purple mountain bike. Yes. And it was 11 days later, Angela's head was spotted in the Arizona Canal about two miles from where her body had been found. Well, it was, it was kind of found by a guy they called Kingfisher. And they called him that because he was uh, known to be out there fishing in the canals and stuff. And how, if they had fishing in them, I have no idea. But apparently he was fishing in them. And then he came up on it and, and called it in. Mm-hmm. And they said it was really odd because it looked really, I want to say, fresh. But the <laughs> but, de- the decomposition wasn't the same as the body. Right. It was almost none. Like it had been kept in the refrigerator for like the last 10 days. And then somebody just decided to dump it. Get, get rid of it in the right. canal. Yeah. Yeah. Or either that, or I'm gonna put it out here for shock factor in the canal, because yeah. it was like on a, it was like found on a like a drain grate. It wasn't actually in the water. Yeah, right. But everybody reports it being in the canal, but it was actually on a drain grate, like you said. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So at this time, Angela's case went cold, man. I mean, they had nothing to go on. Yeah. And it was about ten months later. This was on September the twenty second of nineteen ninety three. A seventeen year old girl by the name of Melanie Burnus. She was a high school student at Arcadia High School there in Phoenix. Right, which is kind of famous. Yeah, it is. She took an evening bike ride. Yeah, her mother had been out on a dinner date, and uh, she came back, and uh, she noticed that uh, Melanie was not home, and so she was kind of pissed off because it was way past curfew. Yes. But then she got to looking around and noticed that Melanie and her bike were also gone, so she assumed that she had been gone out on a bike ride as well. Now, it was the next morning... There was a Phoenix woman. Her name was Charlotte Pottle. Right. And she was riding her bike with her daughter in the back seat, kind of like one of them seats attached to the bicycle. I guess you can ride a toddler in. Yeah, correct. Yeah. She was riding in that seat, and she rode through a strange-looking puddle. Yeah, it was kind of weird, for especially in Arizona. You know, yeah. There's not going to be a lot of puddles around. That's right. And it was reported they went to a swing set and played on the playground and done some things then she went back to the pub well, that really was nagging at her she just didn't understand what what was the deal with this what was that yeah this damn this puddle it looked dark when she rode over it right and actually rode through it and yeah actually splashed you know a little bit on her and so she decided they would when they would turn around and go back home when they were going back the sun was to her back so she could actually see it a little more and notice that it looked really like it was red yeah so she was like it's surely not so she stopped got off her bike and had her sister hold her bike while she went over and inspected and actually it looked like blood to her yeah and then she noticed some drag marks and she started looking and the drag marks kind of went to the left from where she was standing which is the opposite way than the canal water because this is also on right there canal and it went down and then kind of like of a round of a tree a little bit and there was another little puddle over there and then the drag marks went back across the road and then into the canal. Yes. So she just had chills all over when she seen them drag marks. She didn't know what to do. She's like, hmm. And like, there was no cell phone. And she didn't know what to do, so yeah. she she just went home. She went home and called the cops. Yes. Yes. Which was commendable for her. She could have just wrote it off and just 
Well, it was kind of commendable at first. And then she said that uh, once she got home, she got a call from detectives. And they said, where are you at? She said, I'm at home. She goes, well, you stay right there. We're on our way over there. And said that, uh, she said that when they showed up to her door, they was basically saying she did it. Yeah. She goes, what do you mean? I was called. I was the one to call it in. I discovered it. Because, no, we see your feet print are all over around those drag marks. We think you did it. And mm-hmm. she's like, I don't know. But anyway, so they finally left. And she said that uh, later she would end up saying that she was just distraught over this because they come in and accuse her of this. And she thought they was coming to rest her any time. And then they never called her back. Yeah. Just, just yeah. lift her hanging uh, that overhead for months. Every day they could show up and arrest me. Right, yeah. yeah. So that's kind of shitty, I think. But the police did go out to the scene there at the canal. Oh, for sure. And they found Melanie's body. It was floating in the canal. Right where them drag marks went in. Yes. And it was weird, too, because she was dressed in what was described as a blue bodysuit. Yeah. But I've seen pictures of it, and to me, it looks more like a, a one-piece bathing suit. Yeah, so I'm thinking it's maybe something like you would wear over your leotards if you were doing aerobics back in the day. But or ballet def- or something like but that. But it definitely or, does yeah. look like a one-piece bathing suit. Yeah. Yeah. It's basically what it looks like. I don't know why people call it a bodysuit, but... Maybe that's a technical name. But to it me. could be, yeah. This was not her bodysuit. No. Mm-mm. They later found out that... It had been put on her. Mm-hmm. Whoever killed her. Had yeah, put her clothes had been uh, discarded, and this had been put on her that they're thinking post-mortem. Yeah. But Melanie had been fatally stabbed in the back and sexually assaulted. Yes. Now, this was what was weird. A matching DNA profile was found on both victims, Angela and Melanie. Mm-hmm. And their murders became known as the canal murders. Oh, yes. So all they know is basically they're thinking this is uh, the same guy. But the case did go cold. Yep. And there were tips coming in all over, from all over the world. People trying to find out who this canal murderer was, yeah, Dale. What could happen and who could it be. But yeah. It just went uh, went cold and it would stay cold until decades. Yeah. Because uh, we're moving up to 2011. Right. And this was a Phoenix police detective. His name was Clark Schwarzkopf. Yes. Yeah. And he was working with the cold case unit investigating these canal murders. Yeah, he was taking this over, and he's like, he was going for the big one. Yeah, he was trying to find out what happened to these two girls. Yeah, so he went in and talked to them, basically saying, you know, this is what he was doing. He wanted to take on this case, and he wanted to see what they could find out. And that's when they basically say, well, here, here's a list. There's over 600 people on this list. And he's like, People oh. of interest. Yeah, he said, well, okay, we'll give it to me. Let's get started. We'll start at the bottom, and, or we'll start at A and just go all the way through it. Yeah. He said, that's all I know how to do. That's all he, that's all he ever done. Yeah. So that's what they started doing, going through this stuff. And then they noticed that uh, they had actually had talked to like over 800 people. He said this room was just full of case files. Mm-hmm. So his uh, basically the way he was going to handle this thing is uh, back in the day, they had, you know, the DNA stuff that they had got from a few people, but there was a bunch that they never got. So well, they were going through these lists and anything that they seen pertinent. They were going and trying to find these people wherever they were now, and then find a DNA profile from them. Yes. Or see if I could get some DNA from them. Even that I meant putting detectives on airplanes and flying them anywhere they could find somebody. Yes, that's what they were doing. Yeah, so they was he was really putting a lot of effort in them. I mean, it was a lot of money, too, but trying to figure out what the hell was going on here. I know. But, you know, up to this time, they were some suspects. Even the professor that Angela had at DeVry in California. Yeah. He was a... Well, it was reported that maybe he had a crush, crush on her. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, 
Um, he was actually ex-military, a, a yeah. colonel, special forces, or a major special forces, yeah. something like that. He was so, pretty high ranked, and they thought maybe it was like a professional, either surgeon or maybe somewhere like you said that was in, you know, a high military or ex-military or somebody that knew what they were doing. Had some combat training. Yeah, combat training. So yeah. that, those those folks went to the top of the list for sure. Yeah, they did. And the lady that reported the blood spot there, she was uh, a suspect. Mm-hmm. And then you got uh, Angela's boyfriend. Yep. All these people. I mean, yeah. In the list of 600, there's a whole lot more, but this gives you some of the top players. That's right. So we're moving into late 2014. Mm-hmm. And this was when the investigators in these cases, they were at a conference. And there was a lady there by the name of Colleen Fitzpatrick. She was a forensic genealogist. But the name of her company is Identifiers International. And they developed the software that could actually mine out public genealogy databases. Right. You know, like the 23andMe and that kind of stuff. Yeah, this was way ahead of its time. Oh, yeah. Definitely. This is groundbreaking. This is is where it all started. Yeah. And they were searching for matches to crime scene DNA. Yes. And she approached the investigators asking them if she could help with solving this case. Right, because it's not like you usually do. I mean, they put it in CODIS and all that stuff to, to try to find it, but nothing ever came up. Yeah. But she didn't look at it that way. She went in a whole different way. She wanted to find out who this DNA's family was, the right. family tree. Exactly. Not, yeah. not necessarily I'm going to tell you it was this person or that person, but I can, I can give you pretty much the family and maybe even a last name if we can get it close enough to give you something to go on yeah and the investigators they pondered over this for a while they didn't want to do it they didn't want to do it because they didn't want to bring anybody in that wasn't pertinent to the to the investigation they didn't want to give out what they had but all she was going to get is a dna sequence yeah she didn't want that's what she said she didn't want none of that stuff all she wanted was that you know but they still had to give up the only dna that they had taken off those two bodies yes but uh, eventually, they decide to sign off on it and give Colleen Fitzpatrick these uh, DNA. Yeah. Well, they said that the, the upper upper end didn't want to spend the money. That's right. Because it was going to be expensive. And then, basically, the guys that were all on the cold case team were like, look, we're spending all this money flying people everywhere. I mean, we're not. this is kind of a win-win. There's no downside to this. Why, why wouldn't we do it? And said that, actually, they had even considered taking up a like a out of their own pocket everybody chip in and do it ourselves yeah go rogue on it and do it ourselves but eventually one of the higher up went ahead and signed off on it and said you know what the hell we ain't got nothing to lose that's right not at this point because this uh this case is cold yeah they been, got been cold but they did give the code to colleen and didn't hear back from him for a while wasn't a while yeah, and yeah it was like several well, months maybe we maybe we made a wrong mistake here yeah didn't hear nothing from her so they didn't know what was going on and she came back yep and she told schwarzkopf that she had a surname yep they came up with a surname and his name was miller his name is going to be miller yeah so he called detectives and they went down and pulled all the boxes that had anything to do with miller on them and brought them up and put them on his desk and they found six people in their files with the last name miller mm-hmm. he said miller was a pretty uh, common name there yeah so just to narrow it down to six that's really good yeah real good yeah out of 600 yeah very good yeah that they talked to yeah yes and they got to looking through it, and they found a file that was about a half inch thick. Mm-hmm. And on the file, the man's name was Brian Patrick Miller. Right. And it was wrote, anonymous tip. Yes. was written on it. Yeah. And this anonymous tip was regarding the bodysuit. Yes. Yeah, that they had seen it in his possession at one time. 
Yeah, so yeah, somebody said that they had saw that in his apartment or something. Yeah. His, at one time. It his house kinda, that we're going to talk about. Yeah, so it was really weird that they actually had seen that, that he had that. And this tip stayed on that file for years. Yeah, and with a lot of other stuff. So once they got into it, they started looking at, at the background and uh, kind of was taken aback about what they found in his background. So just a little bit of background on Brian Patrick Miller. His father was Paul Miller, and he had died in 1977. And we'd read this in several places different but it was reported that he had died in a motorcycle accident yeah that's what i thought at a very young age and his mother her name was donna grimmer and she remarried several times after paul's death Mm -hmm. and she worked as a detention officer with the maricopa county sheriff's office right and reportedly she kind of run her household like it was the detention center yeah she come home and it was the same thing yeah started beating him when he was five he says now we don't know yeah, that's what he reported later on, that she was physically abusive, psychologically abusive, and... Sexually abusive. Yeah, a lot of things. I don't know if she was doing anything directly to him, but she would walk around the house mostly naked, and they said reportedly gave him uh, adult magazines when he was really young, like 10 years old, and just weird stuff like that. Yeah, but Patrick, he also had a brother, David, who was arrested for minor offense in 2014, and his DNA sample was used by the police to find a partial match with the DNA from the canal murder scene. So mm-hmm. that was one of the leads that they had had in their database to link them to Patrick. Yeah. And then once they dug in a little deeper, they also see that Mr. Miller had a juvenile record. Yes, he did. And this was to be coming into the case of uh, Celeste Bentley. Yeah. Now, Celeste was a Phoenix woman who she was working at... Uh, a mall there right yes she was and uh she usually took the bus because it was just right up the road from where she lived so she always rode the bus to work saved a lot of, a lot of hassle and said she was riding the bus one morning and she noticed this uh this younger kid she was geeky bus. looking a little geeky cute. yeah about 16 years old you know sitting on the same bus no big deal she acknowledged him went down about her business so they got to the place where she got off and she got off at the mall and was walking through the parking lot so it was pretty early so not a lot of people there, and I don't know if it's one of them underground parking lots or, or what. But anyway. She was walking to, to the mall. Yeah, she was going the bus stop. to like a back entrance to the mall where she worked. And uh, she kind of noticed, you know, as she was walking that somebody was walking behind her a little bit. So she kind of turned and looked and noticed it was that same geeky kid that was on uh, the bus. And she didn't really think much about it. You know, she must have just got off the same place as me, and here we go. Well, then all of a sudden, he just kind of runs up, and she thought just punched her in the back and then run back. She turned around and yelled at him, like, what are you doing? And she turned around, and she stuck her hand back, and then when she pulled her, her hand back around to the front from her back, there's a lot of backs, then she saw blood. Yes. And then she kind of started to freak out. Yeah, and then she headed toward her workplace there in the mall. Yeah, so she ran up and started knocking on the back door because they had to come let her in. So she starts ringing, and finally the assistant manager came and opened the door. And uh, she started freaking out because she was bleeding all over the place. So yeah. took her in and uh, and called the cops. Yep. And they got there, and they were working on her, trying to get her straightened out and get her set up. Yeah. Uh, first responders pulled in, and they had her. She was in the ambulance. Yeah. They were trying to. said that it was about an inch and a half uh, gas. It was about an inch and a half to two inches deep. Yeah. Pretty bad, though, pretty really. Good. Yeah. But they were in the ambulance working on her, and the uh, Cops showed up and they had a guy with them. Yeah, she she told him what he looked like and they they wasn't they wasn't going long. They come back and brought a guy up to him and said, "Is this him?" Put him up to the back door. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty good. Yeah, that's kind of freaky to me. And she did identify the guy. 
the guy that stabbed her. Yeah, and it was Mr. Miller. It was. And just keep in mind, he was 16 years old at the time. He was 16. Yeah. Yeah, so he was uh, charged with uh, aggravated assault, and I was thinking attempted murder, but I'm not sure. Anyway, he was so, him being that young, he was sent to juvenile detention where he stayed there until he was about 18. Yeah. And when he got out of juvenile detention, his mom didn't want him coming home. Well, she found some stuff. Well, when they were cleaning out his room, they found some stuff, and it was a, a pretty disturbing it was i've heard it was a note and i've heard it was some other stuff but it was basically a thing called the plan and it had uh basically spelled out how he wanted to find a abduct rape and murder and dismember a young woman and preserving her head yes so her mom uh, actually had turned this note in to the police department saying that uh when he got out she did not want him to come back to her house therefore he had to go to a halfway house That's when right. he came out and speaking of the plan, the copy of this plan was also in his folder when they dug out the cold case folders. Yes. So we got this stabbing thing, this the thing, the plan, and all this is right on the thing that they've had this whole time. Yeah, they've been sitting on it. The whole time. So that's pretty, uh, pretty wild to me. They probably just didn't link them two together because when these two girls were killed in 92 and 93... Uh, Patrick Miller was pretty young. Yeah. And I think that's one of the ways they ruled him out. It didn't connect him with the, he just didn't fit the profile of what would. Right. Well, you know, I think they, they kind of got sidetracked looking for a uh, surgeon type or someone like with knife experience, an older guy with a uh, military experience or something like that. I think they were focused in on that. Cause at one point they even went to the local air force base there and they were pulling guys names that were, I guess, serving at that base at that time at that time yeah and then trying to find them too yeah where they they could be anywhere in the world you know because people that stay on those kind of bases they're there for a while and then they could be gone somewhere else in six months you know yeah, they were focused on like you said military or yeah. uh surgeon somebody with uh skills yes knife skills mm-hmm. that's what they were looking for so he just didn't fit the profile at well, all. basically they were doing that i think a, a big big part of that is because both of the girls that were attacked on a bicycle were stabbed in the back and basically where it was stabbed, it pretty much decapacitated them right off the bat. Yeah. I mean, and maybe even killed them with that one shot. And Celeste, the lady who was stabbed at the mall, said that uh, they had told her if he had, had turned the knife the other way, if it had been horizontal instead of vertical, it would, might have done her the same way. So he was just maybe practicing here because he's really young. That's right. Because it hit her ribs and stopped. Otherwise, it would have went on through, you know, if it would have been flat. Golly. So she's really lucky, even though Very it was a pretty severe stabbing. If it had been different, I mean, she could have bled out right there. Oh, yeah. She could have been number one, mm-hmm. as far as we know. Now, just a little bit more background on Brian Patrick Miller. He got married in 2000. He married a lady by name of Amy Miller. So I guess that was her name after she got <laughs> married. But he had met her at a Comic-Con convention. Right. And they ended up having a daughter by the name of Sarah, who was born in 2001. Mm-hmm. And then they moved, actually, to... Uh, washington state yes they did and i think it was close to where his mother lived actually which is kind of odd to me but so they moved out there for a while yeah because she didn't want him back home after he got out of the well i guess i guess she could probably scared him and then now if he's 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 straight and narrow now you know yeah maybe he's thinking he was just bad off being in that halfway house and all that stuff so or in the juvie like you said Mm -hmm. and then they moved out there for a while and i don't know how long they were out there and then they moved back to this area. Phoenix, Arizona, yeah. yeah. 
That's right. But Amy, his wife, said about Brian Patrick that he was a loving father and husband at first. Yeah, great. Yeah, but then he became kind of abusive and controlling over time. Yeah. And she even said that he had a collection of knives and swords. Yeah. Which he often used during sex. But while they were in Washington State, Dale, it was in 2002, there was a woman named Melissa Ruiz Ramirez. And she was walking down the street in Everett, Washington. Right. And somebody pulls over, and it was Brian Patrick Miller. And Ruiz Ramirez would later tell police she'd seen him before, talking to some friends of hers. Mm -hmm. And she also said she got into Miller's car and told him that uh, she needed to make a call. And he, he drove her to his workplace so she could use the phone. And she tells the police later on the phone from out of the clear blue sky, Brian Patrick Miller comes running out with a 12-inch serrated knife and stabs her in the back. Yeah. And they get to fighting over the knife. And she she runs out. Yes. Away. She escapes and she contacts the police. Yes. And they picked up Miller shortly after. Mm-hmm. And he didn't deny stabbing her. No. But he claimed it was, claimed it was self-defense. Yeah. Yeah. And he said he was at work when Melissa Ramirez walked in off the street and asked to make a call. And then all of a sudden, she pulled out a knife and tries to rob him with the knife. Yeah. And Miller was arrested and charged with first-degree assault with a deadly weapon and was jailed from May 2002 until December trial. Yeah, so that's quite a, quite a while. Quite a while to stay in jail. Just waiting. But the jury, they didn't buy Melissa's story at all. No, he got acquitted. Yeah, they got acquitted of all the charges. It's another typical hand slapper on a serial, or I guess I would say serial killer, but on a, a killer. Yeah. And they all have a chance to pick them up and then... Let them go. Let them go. Yeah. That's what happens. But you know, Dale, the whole time that Patrick Miller was in jail from May to December, well, waiting, was, yeah, waiting his trial to right, get, be right. acquitted, he was writing letters back and forth to his wife. Yeah, and telling her what he was going to do. So he was, he was getting a lot darker as he sat in jail from... I guess he had time to think. A lot. And his little, his little switch flipped, I guess. Yeah, yeah his little warped mind. Yeah, he's been becoming very, very sexual deviant. Yeah. yeah and telling her, writing her letters, telling her what he's going to do to her and what stuff he's going to do when he gets out and all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And when he did finally get acquitted of these this crime, this stabbing, Amy said he was a dark sexual deviant. It was a side she'd never seen before. Yeah. And there were times where there was sex between them, and he held a knife to her throat. He'd hold a knife to her throat, and he would tie her up without her consent. And he would, like, stick her with uh, pins, all kind of pins and stuff. And like I said, a lot of times, I said, well, did you ever, you know, say anything to him? She goes, no, because she was scared of him. And she said, you know, I was just hoping that uh, maybe he loved me enough not to kill me. Yeah. I was like, whoa. Mm hmm So, yeah, he was getting a little crazy there. Yeah. And Amy, his wife, even told Schwarzkopf that her husband claimed something happened to him as a kid, yeah. something that would become like the cornerstone for his murdering Angela Brasso and Melanie Burnus. Yeah. Everybody was saying that his mom had created a monster. Yeah. Blame my own mama. Yeah, that's what he did. Now, when they got to looking into Brian Patrick Miller, yeah. they realized that he was some kind of local celebrity. Yeah, it wasn't hard to find. No. That's for sure. No, because he was known around town as the zombie hunter. Yes. He had a modified police car that he rode around in. Yeah, it was an old retired police car that he had 
cut and like you said modified it up he had like steel bars across the windshield instead of blue lights on it he had like green lights or green and orange lights maybe and zombie hunters on the door and fake blood running down the doors and even had bars on the back windows and actually had a full-size zombie mannequin in the back seat in, yeah. in the back seat and even even going as far as uh wearing like this big trench coat thing with this mask like a steampunk type mask and so he was pretty pretty famous around there. he was like he would go to all the zombie runs and the comic cons and this kind of stuff so a lot of people knew who he was parades and everything right yeah so he was like, kind of like me. They would see this car around town. They knew who it yeah, was. It was his daily driver. He didn't just take it to, <laughs> to he, Comic-Con. He drove it at work. Yeah, he drove it everywhere. Yeah. Was, yeah. He even drove it to his job at the Amazon packing warehouse or whatever you call it. Yeah. Distribution center. Yeah, that was his job. That was his car he rode around his in. His daily driver. That's right. Yeah. This is crazy. Yeah, we'll post pictures of this thing. It's actually a pretty cool car. But I, I was, wonder where it is now. I don't know, but he was big into this steampunk stuff. Yeah. Because, you know, he would uh, portray these characters at night is some kind of subculture that deals in with this victorian era technology yeah it's the way they and everything's powered by steam right yeah but he dressed up in all these costumes and outfits that he made himself right so he wasn't really hard to find because everybody knew who he was once they they put the name with the with the zombie killer or, or zombie hunter i'm sorry once they you know put the two together well this is who we're looking for so it was everybody's like well hell i see him driving around everywhere so that's how that's how they started uh, putting some surveillance on Mister Miller because mm-hmm. they knew they could find out who he was, but the only way they could prove anything this time is if they could maybe grab his DNA or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm sure they wasn't going to just walk up and get it to him, so they started following him around. They did and keep him under surveillance. So this uh, detective Schwarzkopf he started to conduct surveillance on Patrick Miller. Yep, and he would sit out in the parking lot at his work, and he would observe him on breaks. Sitting out in his car, listening to loud, some obnoxious music is what he called it. Yeah, I'd like to know what it was. I'd probably like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he was just hoping he would throw something out of the car. Right, but he didn't ever throw anything away. He'd just come out, take his break, go back in the car. Uh, yeah. Back in the building and then come out at lunch. Same thing. Ever and ever. And they followed him around for a while and they just could never get anything. No, he was like he was, he knew not to throw something away that had his DNA on it. Or he just kept everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which we're going to get into. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But they come up with a pretty clever idea. They were going to try to get, I guess, Patrick into their folds by giving him a, a job proposal. Yeah, one of the detectives come up and said, listen, we can't get nothing. And if he can play a little role, why can't we play a role? He said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, I'm just going to go up to him and say I'm a, acting I, like I'm a security consultant. Out there in the parking lot when it work. Yeah, because he said, and I'm going to say that basically we're with this warehouse that's across the street here. And we want to hire you to keep an eye on what's going on over here. And we'd like to talk to you about it and, you know, pay you 20 bucks an hour and and uh, see if that's something you'd be interested in. Yeah. So he just jumped all over yeah, that. Yeah, he took the bait. Yeah. So they wanted him to uh, meet them so they could fill out an application and they could have, like, a little interview and, and see if it was something they really wanted to do. Yeah. So what they did is they hired him or uh, called him to have him come into Chili's. They yeah. were going to go meet at a restaurant, mm-hmm. the local Chili's here. So it was at this point, Dale, they was trying to get Brian Patrick Miller's DNA. Yeah. And one of the detectives, he went in there and he talked to the manager and the manager agreed to do all this. The manager even agreed to be the waiter. He did. Or waitress, whatever, the server. Yes. I'm not sure which way that goes. Yeah. And they sterilized everything that he was going to use. Right. Right. Set up a, 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 a separate part of the restaurant and even the other patrons that were there were all undercovers. Yeah. 
in this one little separate part when she was apart from the, the main part. And that's where they set up to do it. And like you said, they went in there and cleaned up everything. Even the detectives and the cold case guys went in there and cleaned everything themselves yeah. to make sure it was perfect. They were going to try to get this guy's DNA. Yeah, because they thought maybe we got one shot at it. Yeah. So let's we'll see what we can do. That's right. And he comes in and he has his daughter with him. He has his daughter with him. Yeah. And they're like, oh, shit. What do we do? <laughs> do they know? Does he know? Are we busted? Yeah, but they were sitting out in the parking lot watching him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure they were talking back and forth. Oh, what yeah. do we do? Yeah. So he comes in with his kid. Let's go with it. Yeah. He's a 15-year-old daughter at this point. So they sit down at the table, and they ordered hamburgers. Yeah. The uh, Miller and his daughter ordered hamburgers. Yeah, all uh, three of them. Yeah, and he said when he got his burger, he ate it in like five bites. Yeah. Just gulped it down yeah. and didn't drink anything. Didn't drink anything. They're like sweating because, wait, we ain't going to get anything on this. That's what they were thinking. And he even asked him, can I get you something else to drink? You don't, you don't want that water? He had water. And uh, he finally did take a couple of drinks of water out of his mm-hmm. out of his cup, his yeah. mug. Right. What they give you at Chili's, mm-hmm. those mugs, plastic yeah. mugs, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And uh, so they were there about an hour going through this though. Mm-hmm. Trying to sell that job to get him to be this fake security guard. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And just hoping to get the DNA. Mm-hmm. But the uh, interview left, and they were able to get some DNA off his glass. Yes. Yeah, they took the glass, pulled it out, and sent it off. Yep. And the DNA came back to him. It did. And it matched Brian Patrick Miller. Yeah, I said they to were, the killer. They were in a meeting, right? And yeah. They, and said the whole damn the lab came in, bust the door open, said, That's your man. Hey, they got him. They got him. Yep. Sure did. And they went to his work at the Amazon warehouse and arrested him. Yep. And so basically went in and picked him up and he he didn't had he acted like he had no idea why why he was in trouble. No. He didn't have no clue. They told him that, uh, and during the interview, Texas was telling him that they had some DNA linking him to the canal murders. And he said, I don't know how that's possible. It can't be me. Yeah, he was in his interview saying he just hates the sight of blood. Yeah. So they leave him in there, and they leave him in the investigation room or the interrogation room, whatever it's called. He starts playing a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, he acts like he's crazy talking to himself. Yeah. Because he knows they're recording him. Right. Yeah. And he's going to try to use that later as an insanity. This is where he starts coming up with this. There's two different Brian Patrick Millers. He has like a multiple personality. Yeah. Yeah. One, it was the brain had uh, split everything in two. So one was the good guy, one was the bad guy. So he basically didn't, cutting off all the memories from all the terrible stuff his mother had done to him. Mm-hmm. And then you had your regular guy and then the one that didn't remember anything, apparently. That's right. But Miller pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity at his trial. Mm-hmm. And it began in April of 2021, which is not long ago. And his defense team argued that he suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder due to his abusive childhood. And he also had a disassociative identity disorder, which caused him to have those multiple personalities right. that we talked about. Now, when investigators got ready to go to his house, boy, they were in for it then, weren't they? Yeah. Before all the defense and all that shit start. But they radio said they're first. going in. They couldn't even get in. Yeah, they couldn't get in. Mm-mm. It's basically, as a the house looks like a episode of horrors. Yeah. yeah. And we got a couple of pictures of inside the house, and it's it's a it's a mess. It's basically, they just said you can't get in the door. It's full of crap. So there was basically a, a path to go to the bathroom, to the kitchen, and where the TV was, and that was it. Yeah. Everything and he lived there with his fourteen year old fourteen year old daughter too. Mm-hmm. But when they got in there and started looking, man, they found some creepy stuff. Yes. Yeah, they did. 
they found a lot of pornographic stuff, uh, violent pornographic stuff, uh, videos of women being beheaded. Yeah. Yeah. And they were thinking it was even a picture of a severed head on his... On the refrigerator. Yeah. And first I'm thinking, maybe it was just from Friday 13th Part 2 or something. <laughs> but I don't think so. No, they found a lot of creepy stuff in this house. Yes. And they said that one of his personalities was named Jason. And this Jason was responsible for the murders of Angela and, and Melanie. But he said he didn't remember, remember any of that. No. He like it couldn't have been him. Like you talked about his brain splitting. Yeah. Yeah, he had no memory. Yeah. They went through the entire house. Can you imagine how long it took them to go through that? I wouldn't have wanted to do it at all, but no. I can't imagine. They have to go through it. I don't think they even, they didn't find nothing. They don't find, they didn't find the murder weapons. They didn't find, the, not even the bicycles. Yeah, nothing related to the girls. Uh-uh. Mm-mm. But you also got to think, he's already, that would have been years ago, and then they moved to Washington, and yeah. then moved back, and then when he split up with his wife, and then this had to be a whole new horde. I mean, you, it had you know, to be. he's not taking that stuff for everywhere. So uh, that would make sense why they didn't really find anything. He probably throwed stuff away. Well, they have to. He done moved three times. Yeah. Yeah, but the prosecution disputed his insanity claim and presented evidence that Miller was sane and aware of his actions. Yeah, they think it was a bunch of baloney. And they even showed videos of him hunting zombies and talking about serial killers mm-hmm. and demonstrated his preoccupation with violence and death. And they also showed testimony from his ex-wife, Amy, who said that he was abusive and controlling during their marriage. Oh, yeah. So he had his uh, wits about him. Yeah. I don't see how they could do the insanity plea at all. No. No, I don't think the judge was buying it either. No. I mean, because they had, what do you call that, trial? A judge trial. I mean, it wasn't no jury. Yeah. Trial by judge. Yeah. And her name was Judge Suzanne Cohen. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was on June the 7th of 2021. The bench trial began without a jury, and Miller was found guilty of two counts of first-degree murder, kidnapping, and attempted sexual assault. Yeah, and on this bench trial, she was basically just jury and executioner here because she gets to do everything. She she does the sentencing and everything. Yeah, and she even rejected his insanity defense and ruled that he was eligible for the death penalty. Mm-hmm. And she said that he did not just murder them. He brutalized them, and he evaded capture for over 20 years yep yeah so on the next day june the 8th of 2021 judge cohen sentenced miller to death for his crimes sure did and she also sentenced him to seven years for in prison for kidnapping and five years for attempted sexual assault in relation to each victim Hmm. and she hoped that her sentence would bring closure to the families of the victims and justice to the community and man she didn't hold back no you know, it said that when she came out there and she started to to give her uh, her her verdict and her, her uh, punishment, she's you know started talking about some stuff and you know about his background and she made a big pause and everybody was just holding her breath because they thought she was going to go lenient, but she went far the other way. And she did yeah. as far as you could go. Yeah, you have known that. But now Miller is now in his fifties and he sits on death row at the Iman Prison Complex in Florence, Arizona. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He still maintains his innocence, though. He said he didn't do it. That's what he says. He still says he didn't do it. But when asked to explain how his DNA was found on both crime scenes, he said that's a question that will go unanswered. He's like, that's the million-dollar question. If I knew that, I wouldn't be sitting here, would I? Yeah. Basically saying he misses spending time with his daughter and his friends and going to car shows and events. Yeah, but he's, he's so on death row. It's pretty crazy. So it's pretty wild that that happened that far back. And 
I mean, there was there's a couple other cases that they say that they thought he did too. Yeah, been back. One of them was Brandy Myers. Yeah, she was like a twelve or thirteen year old little girl that was going door to door. Mm-hmm. And she's either selling spots on a book of readathon or or selling magazines or something. I'm not sure. It was conflicting information there. Going door to door. Yeah, but they but her and one of her friends are going door to door, and they decided to split up. So they could cover more ground. Yeah. But the last time she was spotted was two houses down from Miller's house. Right. Yeah. And his ex-wife would later say that he actually told her at one time that he killed that girl and uh, pulled her in, killed her, cut her up, and got rid rid of her in the trash with trash bags at random times. Yeah. But, you know, that's just hearsay. But that's what she said that she told him. But they're they're pretty convinced that um, he... Killed that little girl. Yeah, because they can't prove they solved. They ain't never they ain't found none. So, and then there was another one, uh, Shannon Amok. Shannon Amok, Amok. Yeah, and uh, she was another teenager that was killed. Yeah, but they can't relate it to him at all. Can't connect him at all. No, there wasn't enough enough uh, evidence to put it on him. Yeah, so there's no telling how many other murders or crimes he's committed. Yeah, because you know at least he stabbed that one girl when he did move away. So he's already married him. Mm-hmm. So you know it's not like he got better. So I'm sure there's a lot other stuff going on here yeah but this is about those those two girls long ago and then how the dna advanced enough to to get him to be able to this and, is probably and, one of the first cases and that woman smart enough to take that genealogy and twist it around and and basically back search it back whatever reverse search that's yeah what I'm trying to say. that's what she did yeah which would be the same technology that got the golden state killer which would be five years later that's right yeah so it's really this case is really sets the precedent for the DNA and how it's used in uh, solving these cold cases. Because it was related, the way she found it was when uh, her, his brother was arrested, and uh, they connected him to his brother. Mm-hmm. That's where they got that from. Right. So it's pretty impressive, man. Very much so. But that Colleen Fitzpatrick, she's she's a go getter. Yeah, she's the one who busted this thing wide open. Yeah. So they. Done good, man. So doing with her and Schwarzkopf teaming up and being set to really try to solve his, these murders. But anyway, he still says he didn't do it. Now, Brian Patrick Miller is one of the most notorious serial killers in Arizona history. He killed two young women in brutal and sadistic manner and escaped detection for more than 20 years. Mm-hmm. He also lived a double life as a zombie hunter and a serial killer, hiding his dark secrets behind a mask. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, but he is sentenced to death by lethal injection. Hmm. whenever that comes probably another 20 years probably but that is the story of brian patrick miller the zombie hunter the zombie hunter yep all right dale we're gonna get out of here (laughs) let's roll all right we want everyone to be safe please be careful and always be aware of your surroundings because the next episode could be about you this is the crack Crack house Chronicles. chronicles